Canucks Central Thursday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah with you on a uh, game day program. We've got pregame with the Ottawa Senators coming up after 3 o'clock. Then we'll bring you the puck drop, of course, and everything that comes along with it here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. We're in the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. You want to get in on the conversation, you can do so if you are listening live. Those that are listening on podcast, we do appreciate you as well. Uh, whatever do we talk about today, Sat? Um, not Trevor Linden. Okay, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> turning the page now. <laughs> I think everybody's heard uh, he was on our show yesterday. Yes. Uh, I know he's been the talk of the town. Mm-hmm. For the past 24 hours. Yep. So. And uh, and there's been a lot of reaction yes. to that. Uh, but past is the past. Canucks are back on the ice <laughs> tonight. Yeah. And we're turning the page on that. And I think one of the, the big conversations we've had about how the Canucks are going to maintain a lot of the goodness that they've had yeah. to start this year. Yeah. They're going to have some regression to the mean when it comes to their goal scoring. And they're going to go through a stretch where they let in a few more goals and they get some bad bounces. And Thatcher Demko's high danger save percentage isn't 967 or whatever mm-hmm. it is right now. Right. Like, there's going to be regression. We know all that. We know all that. It's, it's not news to anybody. But how are they creating offense? And how do they sustain... A lot of the good mm-hmm. that they've been doing so far. And I think that's sort of the interesting conversation of what are they doing well as a team that's leading to this? Yeah. Is it more than just their star players doing star player things? How are they generating offense as a team? How much of it is sustainable? And that's, I think, where the next part of this conversation comes because we are seeing this team develop into something pretty good. And we'd all like to see it continue. So what are they doing to generate offense and maintain a lot of the goodness that they've started with this season? Well, I think a lot of the stuff that we've seen from Vancouver comes from a high quality of chances. And maybe sometimes people are like, well, if you look at the, the public data, it actually shows the Canucks are getting outchanced. And, you know, like even that game against Edmonton, for instance, in the first period, um, the expected goals differential was 68 to 31 at five on five in favor of the Edmonton Oilers, for instance, right? Yeah. Now, if That's you start a look, big gap, it is a big gap. Way. It is a big gap. But throughout the game, it changed because Canucks play better in the second and third. But again, going back to the discussion of we have to be careful when looking at a lot of data early on because what we see with our eyes sometimes does matter. And when we look at the chances that the Canucks did have, especially five on five against Edmonton in that first period, well, it wasn't, you know, a surprise they scored a few goals. How they did, especially look at how those goals happened, right? And if you look at some of the data that Kevin Woodley had, and he had posted this yesterday on Twitter for that first period, and we'll talk to him coming up a bit later in the show, that it was actually more like the quality expected goals and those chances was more more 1.5 versus 1.3 mm-hmm. in favor of uh, the Edmonton Oilers. So pretty close, despite the fact that on the shot metrics and the shot totals, it was a huge disparity between the two teams, which made you think... They probably should have had two goals versus one or perhaps two against nothing or something along those lines, right? But with the quality Vancouver was able to generate, a lot of that was mitigated. Now, some of it is 
their issues with how Edmonton plays too. You saw it with the Suter goal on, on the controlled breakout and how they completely fell apart. Or had, they just didn't move and allowed it to happen. And they just can't defend against the rush. No, they couldn't. So yeah. it just happened. Now the Canucks have been better on the rush. And we spoke to Mike Kelly about this too. Uh, we had a great discussion with him earlier this week about rush chances and how they're mitigating some and, and how they're creating. But I also think because they've been so good at staying intact, they are forcing teams into mistakes. And because they're also pressuring pucks so, so much, that's generating a lot of chances where they're getting past the defense. You're getting two-on-ones or you're getting the type of breakdowns defensively because of your puck pursuit that you weren't getting before. It's essentially a lot of hard work that's helping the Canucks generate a high quality of chances when the chances do actually appear. And I think that's been pretty impressive. We'll see how they maintain that. But I think their defense is leading to a lot of offense. Yeah, it's... Um, it, it's something that players have talked about, even with previous coaches on this team. I remember a, a conversation with Tyler Myers in the room last year where he said, you know, we've got to be the team that, uh, you know, waits them out, mm-hmm. doesn't make the mistake, and then pounce when the opposition makes the mistake. And that's obviously one of the views that Rick Tockett has of the game, especially you know, when you get to the playoffs, that's kind of what it's like. It's mm-hmm. it's similar to the Dallas game we saw on Saturday where both teams are kind of looking at each other like, all right, who's going to be the first one to make a mistake? And we're going to wait out for a power play. That's sort of how playoff hockey can turn out a lot of the time. And we've seen it in some of the bigger games the Canucks have played against better teams, New York, Dallas, and we'll see as it plays out as the year goes on. But when they've played these teams that are having horrible times making mistakes, they've crushed them. Yeah. Right? Like St. Louis, crushed. Edmonton, crushed. Uh, We saw it with San Jose. They got crushed by the Vancouver Canucks. Teams that are making mistakes, the Canucks are just sitting back waiting for it to happen. And it's like, all right, all hell's breaking loose. So they've taken advantage of those situations. But uh, it was interesting reading Justin Bourne's piece on Sportsnet about where the Canucks are best at creating chances. And it's off the forecheck mm-hmm. and they're actually number one in the NHL per sport logic in forecheck chances this season. And they've created the third most attempts from the slot off the forecheck. So that's where they're generating a substantial amount yeah. of their chances. And the thing about this is like, it's not fluke. Or what was one of the first things Tockett kept saying last year when he took over this team? We need better four-checkers. Mm-hmm. We need better four-checkers. we got to be better on the four-check. And now, how has he set up his lineup? Well, you got Mikheyev on the first line. You've got yep. Giuseppe on the second line. Uh, I guess Joshua is now working as the F1 on that third line with Garland and, and Suter. And then you have you know, Hoaglander Lafferty on that, on that fourth line. You know, they've, they've got four-checkers spread through the lineup, and it's clearly – an identity they want to have. We're going to be hard on the forecheck, and that's where we're going to create offense from. Yeah, and winning those pucks, and even Garland, he's he is a good forechecker. Yes. He, he's very puck dominant, even when he forechecks, because he spins around when he gets it and he holds on to it. But well, he, he, like, the other night was great when he was just spinning and yeah. spinning and spinning. He's like, I'm just going to keep spinning until you take a penalty. <laughs> and they did. And usually what he does when that happens either he so, someone takes a penalty yes. or he's able to cr- get the puck into space. Yeah. And that's where these chances happen from. So you win a puck, you make a play from the boards into the middle of the ice to the slot. Even something simple like the Dakota Joshua play from the half wall over to yeah. Suter. It's, 
it depends on how you view a forecheck sometimes too mm-hmm. and when it comes to that data. But at the end of the day, it's about winning on the wall and getting the puck to the middle. And that's why the coach always mentions get inside. And we saw that on, on Suter, who repeatedly now just goes down the middle and guys aren't getting in front of him. He's able to get rebounds or he's able to get pucks or even a clean pass from Dakota Joshua. And he scored three games in a row doing pretty much the same thing, yep. right? So I think you're seeing that from him very specifically, but especially with Besser too. We talk about, you made the observation before about how Besser has been so good at reading the play mm-hmm. on the power play, but also off the forecheck being in the middle. They're getting a lot of pucks over to him. And JT's able to drive over as well. But you're right. It, it all comes down from how you play along the boards. And it's a clear identity for this team. And we want to see the volume increase, obviously, for how many chances the Canucks are creating. But being able to make those east-west passes yep. and getting that pass from from, from the low wall, high chance. low high chance, they're so hard for goalies to save. So for all the talk about what the Canucks need to do better in terms of the analytics and numbers, they are doing some really quantitative stuff on the ice that you can see. That is that has been creating some high quality chances and give credit to their scorers. They're all scoring, right? All all their top guys are putting the puck in the net. And they've uh, crept up to top ten in offensive zone possession time now as well. So that number's been creeping up as the year's gone along, and we've gotten more data, and the team is playing better, and a lot of that due to their forecheck, and especially uh, as we've seen in second periods where. You know, they start to stack shifts on top of each yeah. other, get changes, and keep a tired group out there. And it's really led to a, a big part of the reason why they've had such strong second periods. And I believe they have the best goal difference in the league in the second period as well. But this is this is who the Canucks are offensively now at, at five on five. They don't want to be a team that makes mistakes. Uh, you know, you talk to players, and, and yeah, it's a cliche, but uh, we want to get pucks behind the defense and get to work on the forecheck and that's just that this is who they are and they're really starting to develop this part of their game where they're good on the forecheck and they're going to wear their opponent down. Absolutely. And it gets harder to play against as you mentioned. And honestly, I don't think we can overstate the impact that Lafferty's had in the bottom six. It's funny that when you have a few key players, all you need not all that you need to do, you need to find some good players yes. around them, but finding guys who can fit roles. Yes. Finding guys who can fit your identity. So you can play a style that makes sense. And also you can put players in position. So Garland, for instance, if Garland's playing with Miller or he's playing with Pedersen and he's doing those spins, I hate it. I hate it. Because he, he, that's time. That's not, time he's taken away from Pedersen and Kuzmenko maybe having a pe- pucker chance. On the third line, fill your skates. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, fill your boots, man. man ha- have as much fun as you want out there, yeah. right? I mean, that, that's how I would feel about it because he's clearly the most talented player on that line, and he is the best chance they have at generating zone time and generating offense. So why not feed him the puck? And they've been great at generating since since they finally put Garland and Suter together. We saw it all preseason, and it took them a while to get there because of injuries yeah. and otherwise. But since McKay have got back in and they put Suter and Garland together, they're generating a ton. A lot of it is because of Garland's playmaking ability. Absolutely. So he's fitting a per- role perfectly, and he's also a pain in the ass to play against. Yes. You know, drawing penalties, the opponent gets pissed off at him. Drew two penalties the other night against Edmonton. Absolutely. And we know uh, the PDG line. I'll call the PDG line line for you. But they forecheck. They're one of the know. best. <laughs> There's some people that keep trying to call it the PB and J line. It's no. just like, I, I don't know. I mean, in all seriousness, it is the Miller line. Like, he <laughs> is the guy, right? He's been the stud in, in the middle for that line. But they're really hard to play against. Look yeah. at Connor McDavid and how they got under his skin and how annoyed he was by, obviously, how Edmonton's playing, but also by how he was played by those guys, right? And then you look at the fourth line with Lafferty. 
And you have Hoaglander, who's also another pain in the ass to play against, who's playing some of his best, most effective hockey. So you have four checkers. You have guys who are hard to play against all of a sudden. You have some speed. You have some size. Hey, it looks like a functional, hard to play against hockey team, right? And also the other thing, which I think is not being talked about enough in terms of style, is that you have a massive changeup with skill and precision with the Pedersen, Kuzmenko, Mikheyev line. They also forecheck well. Pedersen's good at it. Mikheyev's good at it. But they are also very creative, and they'll skate around you, and they'll be so unpredictable. Like that play that uh, Kuzmenko makes yeah, you know, to feed Hughes. Just stops, turns around. He sees Hughes coming across like an overlap, leaves the puck over for him. Hughes comes around it's like a soccer play, coming down the flank, and then throws the puck over, and it goes in, right? And you don't see that stuff from any other line. And then you're playing a team like Vancouver that's forechecking you effectively with three lines, and then comes out this uber-skilled, jack-of-all-trades line that can also put you on skates. That's kind of where you also have that next level of being hard to play against. All this comes down to effort, though. Yeah. And you want to see it continue. But that's how they're having success. And that's why it's so impressive by each line. It feels like right now um, they don't really have a liability across their four forward lines yeah. as currently constructed. And Bluger's not in yet, but... Once he does, you know, that gives them another element. It's going to change the lineup a little bit, but they don't, like, there's not a line you would feel worried about throwing out there, right? Like Travis had Adam Gaudet playing in that fourth line role that was ultra sheltered yeah. and they would play maybe 10 minutes, 11 minutes a night, but he didn't trust them to do anything much more than just taking an ultra sheltered type yeah. of situation. Um, even, with Sheldon Dries last year. It's like, yeah, Dries performed well, but you know the team had to be very careful about the situations they put Sheldon Dries in, or they understood his limitations uh, yes. <laughs> as a player in the National Hockey League. Right now, and obviously they don't roll four lines and play them all the exact same amount of minutes, but Tockett really has a good understanding of where his, his team can have success. And he's not too afraid to put almost anybody out there in most situations. No, and... And that's kind of what he's been wanting to build here. Yeah, he kept referencing being like Vegas, yeah, being like L.A. And Dan, I got to say, all I could think about watching Vegas and L.A. play was, I can't wait to see how the Vancouver Canucks match up against them. We saw yeah. how they played against Dallas and the Rangers. There's a lot of reason to believe they can hold their own. But I'm like, man, I want to see if they can play this type of big boy hockey these guys were playing the other night, right? Um, but yes. Well, Vegas is coming up. Yes. In this month, last game of the month, home to the Vegas Golden Knights, November 30th at Rogers Arena. LA is going to be a bit of a wait. Yeah. LA, we're looking at February for the LA Kings, mm -hmm. February 29th. So... I get to they get to play the LA Kings on Benjamin Button's birthday. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. I like that. Well, Siri was even Siri's getting in on it too. Whose birthday should I mark down for you? <laughs> uh, but but you're right. I mean and the coach Talkit has often referred to the Vegas Golden Knights being a team like them rolling four lines. And he says I'm not trying to say we're them, but that's the type of template you want to have in terms of rolling four lines and having effective D pairs. And we we've heard Jim Rutherford wax poetic about the LA Kings and how they play. Yeah. It's very clear the Canucks want to be that type of team. And so far this season, they're looking like they're getting there, you know, and I want to see how they match up against those teams. And and it's just it's just been really smart too how they deploy their players. We talked about this, how they've used 
um, Pedersen to be a lot deeper when he's not playing because he's not playing with Hughes as often five on five, which helps them and also helps their rush chances, I think, because you're getting Pedersen the puck more often at a deeper spot. You have McKay of speed, and I think that helps them be far better and more effective off the rush. And I, I feel really good about how they're playing a team game defensively. I think my only, you mentioned the forward group, there isn't a passenger. And I don't, even, I don't even think there's a passenger on the D pairings, but it's clear that Mark Friedman is playing somewhat of a sheltered role. Yeah. He is playing well, with Cole. He only played, he's played Ten combined minutes. 18 minutes the last two games. Yeah. And even when he's out there five on five, like he's the one, and I wouldn't say they're hiding him because they're not working that hard not to play him or whatever. He does yeah. get some tough situations here and there, but it's clear he's the guy they don't trust nearly as much. So if you're looking at upgrading on defense and you keep hearing the team looking for another righty defenseman, it's clear they still want to upgrade on that, which makes sense. But even even he has raised the floor of that defense because he's still far more effective than anything else we saw the Canucks try in that spot through training camp in the preseason. They've also, as much as, um, like Tyler Myers, it's crazy how Myers has gone through this renaissance in the Mm -hmm. last couple of weeks (laughs) like after the florida game everybody was ready to kick this guy out of town like i don't care trade a first round pick get rid get rid of tyler myers now according to rick tockett he's been one of the canucks best players over the last five or six games yeah and he and it kind of coincides with carson susie starting to find his game and then starting to become a common pair Deployment is starting to work out. We saw Myers play a ton with even Quinn Hughes the other night when you know they were not so keen on playing too much of Mark Friedman. So the Tyler Myers glow up over the last couple of weeks, like even he hasn't been a liability for this team lately. He's a plus ten on the season. That's pretty good. <laughs> it's just funny. It's just like you know how how quickly things change, yeah. right? But at the same time, he is playing more of a show like he's being asked to do less mm-hmm. and lo and behold asking tyler myers to do less means more yes it's the exact opposite situation he's been in, in the past right where you're asking more and you're getting less it's like the leafs asking john klingberg to do more <laughs> and it's like whoa this is not working <laughs> no godspeed <laughs> and you know what and i will say even with that he did play to your point 21 minutes now the game he played more in a third as well when it was clear the canucks had the more commanding presence yeah. in the game and you know the coach has the coaches because adam foot obviously handles the, the defense they've done a really good job of saving guys in games where they don't need them as yeah. much like they're really good at okay as soon as they have a comfortable lead not that they take their foot off the gas but like okay we don't need to They'll run. Spread out the minutes more. Yeah, they, they don't run their guys hot. They look for a, every opportunity they can to take some minutes away from guys and also give other guys some opportunities. But now that they've kind of reconstructed or deconstructed and rebuilt Tyler Myers' game, it seems like to some degree, or at least his confidence, they are now putting him in, in some tougher situations here and there, and he's handling them just fine. And you just hope that continues. Uh, a couple of questions coming in. Uh, this one on Twitter, if... Phil DiGiuseppe has another down game. Could he be the odd man out when Bluger comes back? Move Hoaglander or Garland up the lineup. That one coming in on Twitter. Do you want to answer this or should I? <laughs> well, apparently people think I'm too biased in this conversation. So maybe maybe you should be the one that answers this question, Sat. No chance in hell. Yeah. 
I'm not taking PDG out of the lineup. Why would you take PDG out of one of the most effective two-way lines in hockey? The reason they're having success is JT Miller's been incredible and Brock Besser's finishing, but they need somebody to do consistent dirty work along the boards, the winning them work. pucks. Stuff that doesn't get get the notice. He's been fantastic defensively. He's great along the walls. You mentioned the chances they're generating. And oftentimes, he helps to break out. Like he's, he's so selfless in terms of He's very good at getting to his spot where he needs to be in terms of being available for the defenseman for an outlet or available to a teammate to get make a pass to get out of trouble. Yeah, like he will never take a almost no nobody's perfect, but he seldom puts himself in a position to make an offensive play when he knows there's a team play to be made. I don't take that guy out of the lineup right now. Yeah, the only way I take PDG out of the lineup is if you have somebody who can do that or be so overwhelmingly good offensively with those guys that I don't worry about it. And so far. Neither of those guys, Hoaglander nor Garland, are in are effective enough with those players, nor are they skilled and efficient enough as scorers for me to take that guy out of that spot right now. Right now, Phil DiGiuseppe, uh, zero points in his last five games. Uh, he's got four points on the season in uh, 12 games so far, two goals, two assists. So for a top six forward, I know what everybody's going to say, he doesn't score enough. Doesn't score enough. Got to get that guy out of your top six. You need somebody who can score more. They don't have a better option right now. No, they don't have a better option. And the chemistry on that line is worth keeping together. I'm acted that piece with JT Miller last week, right? And uh, after the Dallas game, talking about how they shut down Rope Hintz and, and Joe Pavelski mm-hmm. and, and Jason Robertson, which is now for more than a year. Uh, has been one of the best lines in all of hockey. And they held them to, what, one shot yeah. at five on five? The line works. And maybe they're not scoring a ton every night at five on five. I don't think JT Miller even has a five on five goal yet this year. It doesn't necessarily matter right now because they are doing their job well, which is shut down the opponent's best lines and still be able to chip in offensively pretty well. All three of those guys, the chemistry and defensively, yeah. Like Di Giuseppe usually plays as the F one, mm-hmm. but you know what? If that's not the case, he's been pretty good at staying above his check and oh, I gotta play F three here. Okay. They're good on their rotations. They're good at reading the game, reading where they need to be. They haven't made a ton of mistakes. They're not getting caught in transition and having three on twos go back the other way. All those things that we had seen happen so often in years past. Like this line right now, and this goes back to even the end of last year, they work together, they have chemistry, they know their role as the big matchup line for this team. So they're not they're not worried about being the highest scoring line on this team. That's got like event like that's gotta be Pedersen Kuzmenko. Yeah, but even even so, Besser and Miller are second or tied for well, they're both Scoring at great rates. Well, they, they, they're both at nine even strength points, which puts them uh, fourth and fifth on the team. Well, tied for third, really, yeah. with Philip Ronick. Uh, is Ronick, Besser, and Miller, all three of them have nine even strength points on the season. Yeah. That line is having success. I wouldn't change it. And the other thing is we just talked about how good Hoaglander has been in that line and how he's been able to play his role and how effective that line's been and how good Garland's been and to allow him to flourish on that third line. Right now, I'm not changing that, and especially with that line. Having oh, I, success, I have no I'm interest in moving that. moving Hoaglander up the lineup right now. No. I'm like over the moon with how well he's played lately, but like you know what? Until there's an injury or otherwise, like fill your boots, just keep playing well in that in the role that you've been given. No, absolutely. That's kind of that's that's how I see it as well for those guys. And 
if that line wasn't having success, if they were getting beat in the matchup line, because Ryan says on the text inbox, have to disagree. I feel like there is regression in his game. Uh, tell me the last time he directly created a turnover. Um, I mean, hey, fair enough in terms of creating some of those turnovers he speaks about, but he's winning battles along the walls. He's making good defensive plays, and that line is having success. Yeah. You know, and he's doing dirty work to help that line have success. If Miller and Pedersen, I'm sorry, Miller and Besser were struggling five on five, if that line was getting crushed or they were having issues, I'd agree. I'm like, you know what? Yeah, make a change. Like, clearly it's not working, but it's working. So why change it? Uh, don't fix what ain't broke. Uh, Kevin Woodley is going to join us. His take on how the Canucks are generating offense and the goalie split. Looks like Casey DeSmith is going to take two of the next three on this Eastern Canada road swing. We'll talk to our goalie guru next on Canuck Central. Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. We're in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Still to come, Canucks and Ottawa Senators. We'll get full in on the pregame coming up at 3 o'clock, but uh, joining us now. On the program, it is our goalie guru in Gold Magazine. It is Kevin Woodley. What's happening, Woodley? Not much. Uh, without an Abbotsford this morning uh, for the morning skates. We'll be back out there tonight. And that just as a public service announcement that serves basically only me. If anybody happens to find a wallet with my uh, identification and uh, cards in it, uh, please return it to the Abbotsford Center so they can get it to me this evening. If you're in the ring, can you happen to find it lying around? Find <laughs> me. I'll buy you a beer. This sucks. <laughs> oh, man. There is uh, there's nothing worse than losing your wallet. Well, I mean, there, oh, there I are definitely things worse, but it's a very oh, unfortunate situation. Yes. So there we go. There's my misery. <laughs> uh, if uh, you have seen or happen to walk by Kevin Woodley's wallet, uh, give him a shout. DM him on Twitter. Find him at the Abbotsford Center tonight. Uh, figure it out. Uh, all right. So getting on some hockey things. I uh, I found it super interesting, your tweet from yesterday, because all we've talked about was how like uh, how much the Oilers were all over the Canucks for the first little bit of that game, and the shot clock was 19-2 when the Oilers went up one nothing. But the data you saw showed, yeah, there was a lot of zone time and a lot of chances, a lot of shots, but not a ton of pure quality or a grade quality chances that the Canucks gave up in those moments. Yeah, no. And, and, and I would, I would put it, you know, it's funny because boy, have people interpreted that little tweet in a number of different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly that I'm defending the Oilers goaltenders, which actually wasn't the intent of it. Um, so uh, yeah, that, it sparked a lot of, let's just say my mentions and I'm not used to my mentions being on fire. Like you guys are They're They're a little hotter than normal. Yeah. Um, it was actually kind of more to the point, frankly, and, and the Canucks deserve credit for this, but like what the Oilers are generating, even when you look at their partial breakaways, like, um, man, you don't take that across the center of the ice. You just walk right in a straight line and shoot. Mm-hmm. And that's not as high a danger chance as a lot of other places are going to tell you it is. And so I thought it was really interesting. I, to be honest, that's what I was looking at more, but there's two sides to it, right? Like um, even when the Canucks and this sort of, 
bears out in a lot of the numbers. Even when they're getting outshot, like they are one of the worst teams in the league at giving up low danger chances. And that is not a bad thing. I think they rank rank 26 in terms of the number of low danger chances they're giving up. And you'd be like, oh, 26 isn't good. But like, if there's a stat you want to be bad at, it's giving up low danger chances. Bleed those all you want. It's the high dangers that count. And it's five on five right now. And this follows a trend we saw after talk had arrived last year. And the question to me was, could it continue? They are now top five, fourth right now in the entire National Hockey League in five-on-five high-danger expected goals against. And that includes the Philly and the Tampa games, which were frankly disasters in that regard. And to me, you know, early in the season had us, a lot of us, I think, wondering to me was, you know, is this, is what we saw last year sustainable? And after that little blip, it has been. And that's really encouraging, not just as everyone tries to figure out you know, what amongst this start is sustainable, but also like, like forget making the playoffs. And I know there's still a step to go to get there, but when I look for predictors of what teams are going to do well in the playoffs, this is the first one I look at five on five high danger chances against and expected goals against. And this team is night and day in that metric from where they were last year. Like honestly, night and day, because flip it on its ear. I think they were third last in it. Um, early in the season last year. So that's, you know, on the offensive side, they're outperforming. But on the defensive side, and yes, the goalies are part of this, but they're not giving up a ton. No, they haven't. And I think when you mentioned sustainability, that's what has us most encouraged about how they're playing. And clearly, you know, they're winning games at a higher percentage than they're going to be able to maintain for the whole year. But even when, when things do kind of stabilize here in terms of the run that that they're on it seems like they built a clear identity in terms of what they're protecting defensively and that it is repeatable night in and night out yeah and so by that being repeatable again even if the offense isn't you start you hope you start winning those games three two and two to one instead of six two right like as i look at that that the other night like not just did the oilers only have two high danger chances in that first period despite what appeared to be tilted ice, but by the end of the game, they only had four and the Canucks had nine. And so it's the way they're defending, but also, you know, listen, like a lot of teams are doing this to the Oilers, especially off the rush, but the way that, how the way they're defending is leading to offensive chances and possession and transition opportunities to me, that's uh, the most impressive. And again, uh, on the offensive end, they're not generating a ton in terms of underlying numbers. They're outperforming those significantly. Part of that is the talent they have. And part of that is they're on a heater, right? And like, but even if that changes, like, you know, like I said, it's, you know, maybe you're in these games 2-2 two, two, or 3-2 three, two, or 2-1 two, down the stretch as opposed to blowing them out 6-2. Yeah, and uh, you know, the other thing I always wonder about uh, these numbers too, because the Canucks have, have led the most in the league, like, and, and we've seen in third periods, you know, they, they dial it back, especially when they're up a couple of goals. They make a lot of safe plays. You know, how much does that affect the amount of chances that they are that they are generating in game just because they've just been leading for you know the most amount of time in the in the entire National Hockey League? And they're not making risky plays, right? Like yeah. that's one of the big things that we've seen that's different in terms of, you know, pushing for more offense at the expense of giving up easy ones the other way. It just there's not as many easy ones right now. And I had a great chat with Ian Cole before they hit the road, uh, in part for the Quinn Hughes piece that ran on NHL.com. Um, but just also talking about, you know, 
the way they're defending and seam plays and yeah, like, you know, seam plays are going to happen, especially on the power play or on the penalty kill. You're going to give up some seam plays, but as he very adamantly put it, may have been a, an excited expletive in there as well. Like it ain't going back the other way a second time, right? Like if we give up one, we're not mm-hmm. then compounding that with the second. I think we've only really seen one of those, what we would call it uh, at clear they would call it a double slot line play where it goes across the middle of the ice in front of the goalie one way and then right back the other way. And that was that, that save that Demko made to kind of turn the game against Dallas. And that was almost a broken play that allowed that. Like, it's funny. I talk a lot about slot line plays and how once the puck goes across, you know, a shot that would be 10% normally can become as high as like 40 or 50, uh, depending on the nature and timing of the pass and the location. Um, If it goes back the other way, that jumps up into the like 65% of the time it goes in range. So, uh, it's one thing to give a seam pass one way, but when your goalie can lock and get over there and worry it's not going to be the start of a scramble that sees multiple seam passes getting through the middle of the ice, um, that's 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 a big confidence booster. Now, in terms of how they're generating offense, obviously there is still some room for improvement, but it seems like when they are generating, they are generating decent quality as well. So so what are we seeing in terms of the numbers when, when it comes to the offense Vancouver is able to generate? Well, I mean, they're, the expected numbers, like I said, those that those aren't pretty right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, expected for their 26, off the rush 22nd, in zone 25th, power plays 11th. But when you have elite finishing talent, you can outperform that. I think there are also other things um, that play a role that, you know, frankly, not all, not a lot of analytics places measure. And you know, one of those is net front and screens. And we've seen a number of goals – you know, it's funny because a couple of the goals that have gone in this year where people have been like, oh, that's a bad goal on the goalie. And I'm like, no, I can't try to remember which rush chance it was um, where right before Pedersen's release coming down the middle. I guess it was against Lankin in the, in the Nashville game. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, everybody just sees the puck go in from the middle of the ice. And, and by the way, getting to the middle of the ice off the rush is the best thing to do because – you know, goalies can't, especially in an odd man situation, goalies can't come way out and challenge it because they're worried about lateral passes. And you're most vulnerable in terms of, you know, not having net coverage when the puck's right in the middle of the ice. So we've seen Pia Suter score against the Oilers, one that I'm sure a lot of people will say Skinner wants to have back, but great shot right off the hip. Um, people think top glove, but it's, it's one of the places shooters are taught to go against goalies right now is just off the hip. It's a tough seal, especially on the blocker side. Uh, and then that Pedersen goal, right right down the middle, top of the circles, and right before he releases that, Ilya Mikheyev skates right through the goaltender's eyes, what we would call a flash screen, one of the most difficult for, for goalies to manage, where that your vision is taken away by a moving screen right before that release. So um, they've done a really nice job there. Uh, Brock Besser is a net front presence. JT Miller is a net front, front presence. Actually talking to JT after the game, against Edmonton about the job that he and Brock have done. And he was saying that when he got there, Brock didn't even want to be a net front guy. Like that wasn't how he saw himself. And now, you know, giving him a ton of credit for the work he's put in to get good at it. And, you know, you see it, Quinn Hughes talked, talked to him too about the saves that Ottinger made on him through screens. And he, he like, he couldn't believe a couple of them thought that, you know, Jake may have gotten lucky because they're working so effectively. The defenseman with the screening forwards and the forwards are doing such a nice job. JT sort of credited Chris Kreider as a guy mm-hmm. he learned from when he was in New York. Like, you don't just go to the net and stand there anymore. If that's what you're doing, you're probably not having success. 
You need to be on the same page, especially on the power play with the guys that are shooting the puck. There's an understanding of where goalies are trying to see what sight lines they're trying to get, and it's usually short side. And so if you can push him far enough short side that he either gives up too much net far side or he has to make a decision, like, I can't keep following this guy to the short side post. I've got to adjust around behind him to find the puck on the other end of this screen, on the other side of it. And the shooter's looking for that and shooting as that happens. Like, there's just there's a lot of really good things going on that I'm seeing in terms of the way they screen goalies. The fact there is so much traffic in front of the net so consistently. And again, that gives you a better chance of maintaining maybe better results than, than some of the metrics might indicate, especially when those original shots come from distance, because we know a lot of them rely mostly on distance in terms of shot quality. But if you can create layered screens, like layered screens are a 39% chance mm. if you can get it on net. Now, listen, they're not all going to hit the net. Some of them are going to hit a body. Um, some of them are going to be great saves like Ottinger made, like, it's not always going to continue to roll downhill the way it's rolling downhill from now. Like I've heard all the talk about PDO and shooting percentage and, and that counts in here, right? Like instead of like, we saw the one that hit Brock where JT hit Brock and he turns around and swipes it and up, you know, off the ice in front of the goaltender. Like you're not always going to get those bounces and breaks, but the fact they're there in front of the net to this degree, creating this many screen opportunities, they were bottom third in the league last year. They're in the top third right now in terms of expected goals off screens. These are all positives that aren't going to show up in most metrics. And yet I say that, again, they do show up in these metrics on ClearSight, and they're still 26, five on five. But uh, I like that they're there. I like that that seems to be a mantra. And I like that they're there with purpose. Like it's not just go stand in front of the net. There's a real design Mm -hmm. to how they're doing it, especially on the power plane, especially with JT and especially with Brock Besser. And I talked before, like, I think Besser deserves a lot of credit for sort of becoming a more well-rounded player, not just a shooter off the wing or off the flank. Mm-hmm. And this is a big part of it. So just how good has uh, Thatcher Demko been so far this year? I was looking at hockey reference. They have him at 12 goals saved above average. It's three more than Jeremy Swayman, who's next in line. I mean, uh, I know some of that is uh, with – uh, the less deep data than, than you're able to get your hands on with clear sights, but just how good has Thatcher been in your eyes? Uh, better than that, actually. Almost 14 goals saved already, <laughs> according to clear sight. Next, next up on that list, and I should probably just make sure it's updated and reflects last night's game because I, ha- I had this up a couple of days ago. But you know, next up on my list is Jake Gottinger at eight, mm-hmm. yeah. Jeremy Swayman at seven point eight. Uh, and, oh, hey, by the way, Joseph Wall, even after a tough night last night, is still around seven. And I don't know. I mean, I had another conversation we had with Quinn the other day because he's noticed it. It's a lot of Americans at the top of this chart. <laughs> so both well for the next time, for, for his country, the next time they have best on best. But, yeah, uh, adjusted save percentage as well. Thatcher Demko is sort of heads and shoulders above everybody else at this point. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the one thing. Like, the environment's improved. Uh, his expected save percentage is 885, which is right around league average. Um, so, again, they've, they've kind of dug their way out of the hole because statistically his was quite a bit lower after that Philly game. With time, they've dug themselves out of the hole that the Philly game created. He's outperforming a friendlier environment by a, a significant margin. But even accounting for a friendly environment, nobody stays at this level all year. Right. Like the best guys in the league by the end of the season are three, three and a half percent. And he's close to six right now. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're probably looking at this coming back. I just don't think 
you know, short of an injury or the defense falling apart, um, you know, I don't think it's going to be that like a crash down to earth. There might be a subtle adjustment over time. Um, but hey, if they manage his playing time, maybe it won't be as as extreme as as we expect. Well, and it can also be one of those gradual things where he maybe has a number Correct. of decent starts, but it's each game maybe one goal, one goal, one goal, and then it kind of just kind of comes back to earth a little bit. But you don't notice it because the team is playing well. At least that's what you're hoping for in an optimistic uh, viewpoint and in, in in how that regression might hit. Because you're right, it may not necessarily mean bad results for the team. But I also want to get your thoughts on the split they have with their backup goaltender, and it looks like he's going to get two out of three here on this road trip based on what the coach has said, starting against Ottawa and then most likely playing one of the games on the weekend here, of course, as well. But uh, what do we make not only on the split, but how Casey DeSmith is faring? On the split, I mean, it's, it, you know, hey, listen, it, it's a luxury you have when you're playing well. Um, and Casey's gotten you a point in every, every game he started. So this is a good thing because we've seen around the league the importance of keeping guys rested and keeping guys sharp. If you're now starting, you know, if you feel like you can focus like, hey, we're not trying to. We're not worried about every start. That we don't need Thatcher Demko to save us every night to have a chance to get in the playoffs. And you can start thinking along the lines of how do we keep Thatcher Demko sharp every night? We do need him, and especially once we get to the playoffs, that's a luxury. And Casey DeSmith has played a role in giving them that luxury. That said, um, we've talked a lot about you know expected save percentages and performance relative to environment. I think Casey's raw numbers, um, you know, they, as good as they look, they reflect what has been a very favorable environment. I know people that have watched the game are like, what do you mean a favorable environment? Like, it's been, he's been shelled, it's been busy. I think a lot of that is just created in our minds and visually by the amount of second chances, second pucks that, that come off him and, and end up out in front. The reality is he has the sixth highest expected save percentage in the league. The reality is his performance, well, exactly what they need because he's gotten them a point in every game. His adjusted save percentage is a hair below the guy we're going to see starting for the Oilers farm team in Abbotsford tonight. So again, grain of salt, a little bit early in the season. I still like a ton about his game. I like the reactive nature that's allowing him to make some difficult first saves. Um, I like the fact that you're like, yeah, okay, maybe there's some loose pucks around the front of the net, but you'd much rather that than the original shot goes in, and he's made some tough first saves. He's got a nice reactive skill set, the way he uses his hands, the way he's integrated some of the new stuff from Ian Clark into his game surprisingly quickly, considering he wasn't here in August like the rest of the goal is to try and learn it all, that he came in late to camp. There's a lot of positives there. But again, ignoring, ignoring the numbers would be ignorant. So that's what they are so far. I'll be curious to see if he can sort of maintain this clip on this road trip and continue to build confidence so the team can continue using him more and, and giving Demko the rest that will hopefully help him stay atop the league. So uh, you mentioned you were down in, in Abbotsford. Did you did you get a chance to connect with, with Jack Campbell? Because for me, it, it feels like he's kind of being uh, a little bit of the scapegoat here for, for Edmonton, who's just really going through it right now. Yeah, I did not have a chance to connect. Um, once it was clear he's starting, uh, he's going to be made available tonight post-game, so yeah. I'll be there to, to catch up with him after the game tonight. But once he's starting, um, you know, especially given all he's been through, you got to kind of respect that. Yeah. Not interrupt the process. Uh, he was the first one on, off, obviously not early, but first goalie off, which means he's starting, but one of the early guys out on the ice putting in the work, which is, if you know him, no surprise at all. 
I'm kind of with you on this one. You know, um, you know his numbers, frankly, weren't were the better of the two goaltenders in Edmonton. You're not sending Stuart Skinner down because he's probably getting claimed. But I just think that it's an easy scapegoat because, and I'm not pretending the goaltending's been good enough in Edmonton. It hasn't. But a lot of the success they had last year, including Stuart Skinner, and I said this on the shows I do weekly in Edmonton, is like don't ignore that, kind of like we just said with the Smith, like the raw numbers that everyone got excited about were in large part, or at least in in a, in part because of the environment. Like it, they were, a, I said this many times, the Oilers last year in the regular season were kind of what Toronto was in years before, where everyone thought they were a fire wagon offense first team, but they actually defended really well. And what I didn't see coming this year was the bottom falling out of that. It, it's unreal how much they give up on off the rush. In zone, they're fine. They're one of the top teams in the league in zone. Mm-hmm. But they're still like 28th overall because they're 32nd on the rush and yeah. by such a wide margin. I mean, they're, they're just bleeding chances off the rush. And you see, I can't help but watch that game on Monday and feel like it's Freaky Friday because so much of what plagues them is what used to plague this Vancouver Canucks team. You know, guys making mistakes at the offensive end that lead to rush chances and then not hustling on the way back. And then the coach afterwards, in, in, in statements that kind of threw me back to Bruce Boudreaux, like, hey, we're behind and, and I need him out there to help us catch up because we got a score and he's our number one defenseman. And obviously Bouchard is the one I'm talking about. and He's taking the brunt of the heat alongside Nurse right now. But like, when does the accountability come? If those mistakes are continuous and you just keep putting them back out there because they're your best chance to outscore the mistakes that they're making. Mm-hmm. And it feels like there's a little bit of that going on. And, and listen, I'm not going to pretend Jack Campbell's been great this year. Uh, his, his adjusted save percentage is, is minus .09. But he was in his numbers before the Nashville, his last start, I think it was on the Saturday, were exactly what they were for two years in Toronto, exactly what they were when you handed him $25 million. Right on the button, the same numbers, like almost to the like three decimal places down, his adjusted save percentage. So this does feel like he's a bit of a scapegoat here for a team uh, that just, for whatever reason, maybe, and and it's human nature, cup or bust, right? Well, it's going to be, we're not, we're not thinking about the regular season. You got to work in this league. If you give up easy goals uh, and you don't have a Demko, a Shusterkin, a Sorokin, like that elite level guy in net, you give up easy goals. They're going to end up in the back of the net. Like you give up the chances they're giving up they're going to score. Maybe, maybe not as much as they've scored against the Edmonton goalies, but like, what's the difference in that game if they make one more? Like 5-2 versus 6-2? Um, you know, the expected goals were, I believe they were almost or over five in that game. They were right around five. So until they fix that, I don't know that it matters what happens in that. And maybe, you know, using a popular guy like Jack Campbell as a scapegoat snaps everyone else to attention, but I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, we got to run, but uh, maybe maybe a yes or no on this one. Have the Leafs been as bad defensively as it looks whenever I watch them? Uh, there, uh, you know what? I didn't pull their numbers, reach, <laughs> but I looked yesterday, and they were in the twenties across the board defensively for a team that's been in the top five for the last number of years. Like them, much like Edmonton, um, what they were heading into this year 
is not what they have been this year defensively. And usually when that happens, pucks go in and goaltenders get called out. Yeah, that seems to be the case right now in Toronto. Uh, You're the best, Woodley. Hopefully uh, you find that wallet. I hope so. Hopefully (laughs) I find my wallet and Jack Campbell finds his game. Yeah, uh, very (laughs) very well said. Thanks for this. All in Abbotsford. Thanks, guys. Uh, You got it. There he is, uh, Kevin Woodley. Still looking for his uh, wallet if you happen to find it. Uh, Connect with Woodley on Twitter. Yes, please return to owner if you do find. Um, yes, uh, and it's easy to get a hold of him. Like, yes. You can find him on Twitter as well, so if you wonder how to get a hold of him, do that. Uh, it's interesting, though. It's it's one of those things where if you ask around, like we've mentioned before, about how the Canucks have played defensively, and you look at some of the public data, and it doesn't shine as, as good a light on it because you look at the expected goals, they rank, you know, what, 25th to 24th or something along those lines. And then you look at it from the deeper numbers there top five like, in the league top five in, in allowing high danger chances at the very least right so it's like okay they'll give you stuff on the outside the whole don't break and yeah and protect your house and let your goalie see it and that's what they've done so far and it, it's encouraging for those wondering what is sustainable what isn't and again the numbers will change but in terms of how they're playing it's repeatable defensively and uh that's what you'd want to see from the vancouver canucks still a lot to improve on but Some really good signs in these first 12 games. They've got Ottawa coming up. The pregame show is up next. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. We'll get to the roundtable, our picks. You'll hear from Rick Tockett. It's all coming up on Canuck Central on Sportsnet 650.